Section 20 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Brumby Continued The would-be author, who cannot make his way either by intellect or favor, can hardly do better, perhaps, than establish a grievance. That there be anything of a case of ill-usage against editor or publisher, and the aspirate, if he be energetic and unscrupulous, will greatly increase his chance of working his way into print. Mrs. Brumby was both energetic and unscrupulous, and she did establish her grievance. As soon as she brought her first visit to a close, the roll, which was still in our hands, was chucked across our table to a corner commodiously supported by the wall so that occasionally there was accumulated in it a heap of such unwelcome manuscripts. In the doing of this, in the moment of our so chucking the parcel, it was always our conscientious intention to make a clearance of the whole heap, at the very furthest, by the end of the week. We knew that strong hopes were bound up in those various little packets, that eager thoughts were imprisoned there, the owners of which believed that they were endowed with wings fit for aerial soaring. That young hearts, aye, and old hearts, too, sore with deferred hope, were waiting to know whether their aspirations might now be realized, whether those azure wings might at last be released from bondage, and allowed to try their strength in the broad sunlight of public favor. We think, too, that we had a conscience, and perhaps the heap was cleared as frequently as are the heaps of other editors. But there it would grow, in the commodious corner of our big table, too often for our own peace of mind. The aspect of each individual little parcel would be known to us, and we would allow ourselves to fancy that by certain external signs we could tell the nature of the interior. Some of them would promise well, so well as to create even almost an appetite for their perusal. But there would be others from which we would turn with aversion, which we seemed to abhor, which, when we handled the heap, our fingers would refuse to touch, and which, thus lying there neglected and ill-used, would have the dust of many days added to those other marks which inspired disgust. We confess that as soon as Mrs. Brumby's back was turned, her roll was sent in upon this heap with that determined force which a strong feeling of dislike can lend even to a man's little finger. And there it lay for, perhaps, a fortnight. When, during that period, we extracted first one packet and then another for judgment, we would still leave Mrs. Brumby's roll behind in the corner. On such occasions a pang of conscience will touch the heart. Some idea of neglected duty will be present to the mind. A silent promise will perhaps be made that it shall be the next. Some momentary sudden resolve will be half-formed that for the future a rigid order of succession shall be maintained, which no favor shall be allowed to infringe. But alas, when the hand is again at work selecting, the odious ugly thing is left behind. 
till at last it becomes infested with strange terrors, with an absolute power of its own, and the guilty conscience will become afraid. All this happened in regard to Mrs. Brumby's manuscript. Dear, dear, yes, Mrs. Brumby, we would catch ourselves exclaiming with that silent inward voice which occasionally makes itself audible to most of us. And then, quite silently, without even whispered violence, we would devote Mrs. Brumby to the infernal gods. And so the packet remained amidst the heap, perhaps for a fortnight. There's a lady waiting in your room, sir. This was said to us one morning, on our reaching our office, by the lad whom we used to call our clerk. He is now managing a red-hot Tory newspaper down in Barsetshire, has a long beard, a flaring eye, a round belly, and is upon the whole the most arrogant personage we know. In the days of Mrs. Brumby he was a little wizened fellow, about eighteen years old, but looking three years younger, modest, often almost dumb, and in regard to ourselves not only reverential, but timid. We turned upon him in great anger. What business had any woman to be in our room in our absence? Were not our orders on this subject exact and very urgent? Was he not kept at an expense of fourteen shillings a week? We did not actually throw the amount in his teeth, but such was intended to be the effect of our rebuke. At fourteen shillings a week, paid out of our own pocket, nominally indeed as a clerk, but chiefly for the very purpose of keeping female visitors out of our room? And now, in our absence, and in his, there was actually a woman among the manuscripts. We felt from the first moment that it was Mrs. Brumby. With bated breath and downcast eyes, the lad explained to us his inability to exclude her. She walked straight in, right over me, he said, and as for being alone, she hasn't been alone. I haven't left her, not a minute. We walked at once into our own room, feeling how fruitless it was to discuss the matter further with the boy in the passage, and there we found Mrs. Brumby seated in the chair opposite to our own. We had gathered ourselves up, if we may so describe an action which was purely mental, with a view to severity. We thought that her intrusion was altogether unwarrantable, and that it behoved us to let her know that such was the case. We entered the room with a clouded brow, and intended that she should read our displeasure in our eyes. But Mrs. Brumby could gather herself up quite as well as we could do, and she did so. She also could call clouds to her forehead and could flash anger from her eyes. Madam, we exclaimed as we paused for a moment and looked at her. But she cared nothing for our madam, and condescended to no apology. Rising from her chair, she asked us why we had not kept the promise we had made her to use her article in our next number. We don't know how far our readers will understand all that was included in this accusation use her contribution in our next number? It had never occurred to us as probable, or hardly as possible, 
that we should use it in any number. Our eye glanced at the heap to see whether her fingers had been at work, but we perceived that the heap had not been touched. We have always flattered ourselves that no one can touch our heap without our knowing it. She saw the motion of our eye and at once understood it. Mrs. Brumby, no doubt, possessed great intelligence and, moreover, a certain majesty of demeanor. There was always something of the helmet of Minerva in the bonnet which she wore. Her shawl was an old shawl, but she was never ashamed of it, and she could always put herself forward as though there were nothing behind her to be concealed, the concealing of which was a burden to her. "'I cannot suppose,' she said, "'that my paper has been altogether neglected.' We picked out the roll with all the audacity we could assume, and proceeded to explain how very much in error she was in supposing that we had ever even hinted at its publication. We had certainly said that we would read it, mentioning no time. We never did mention any time in making any such promise. "'You named a week, sir,' said Mrs. Brumby, "'and now a month has passed by.' You assured me that it would be accepted unless returned within seven days. Of course it will be accepted now. We contradicted her flatly. We explained, we protested, we threatened. We endeavored to put the manuscript into her hand, and made a faint attempt to stick it into her bag. She was indignant, dignified, and very strong. She said nothing on that occasion about legal proceedings, but stuck manfully to her assertion that we had bound ourselves to decide upon her manuscript within a week. "'Do you think, sir,' said she, "'that I would entrust the very essence of my brain to the keeping of a stranger without some such assurance as that?' We acknowledged that we had undertaken to read the paper, but again disowned the week. "'And how long would you be justified in taking?' demanded Mrs. Brumby. If a month, why not a year? Does it not occur to you, sir, that when the very best of my intellect, my inmost thoughts, lie there at your disposal? And she pointed to the heap. It may be possible that a property has been confided to you too valuable to justify neglect. Had I given you a ring to keep, you would have locked it up. But the very best jewels of my mind are left to the tender mercies of your charwoman. What she said was absolute nonsense, abominable, villainous, trash. But she said it so well that we found ourselves apologizing for our own misconduct. There had perhaps been a little undue delay. In our peculiar business such would occasionally occur. When we had got to this, any expression of our wrath at her intrusion was impossible. As we entered the room, we had intended almost to fling her manuscript at her head. We now found ourselves handling it almost affectionately, while we expressed our regret for our want of punctuality. Mrs. Brumby was gracious and pardoned us, but her forgiveness was not of the kind which denotes the intention of the injured one to forget as well as forgive the trespass. She had suffered from us a great injustice but she would say no more on that score now, on the condition that we would at once attend to her essay, 
she thrice repeated the words at once and she did so without rebuke from us and then she made us a proposition the like of which never reached us before or since would we fix an hour within the next day or two at which we would call upon her in harper street and arrange as to terms the lieutenant she said would be delighted to make our acquaintance call upon her upon mrs brumby travel to harper street theobald's road on the business of a chance bit of scribbling which was wholly indifferent to us except in so far as it was a trouble to us and then we were invited to make arrangements as to terms terms had the owner of the most illustrious lips in the land offered to make us known in those days to the partner of her greatness she could not have done so with more assurance that she was conferring on us an honor than was assumed by mrs brumby when she proposed to introduce us to the lieutenant when many wrongs are concentrated in one short speech and great injuries inflicted by a few cleverly combined words it is generally difficult to reply so that some of the wrongs shall not pass unnoticed we cannot always be so happy as was mr john robinson when in saying that he hadn't been dead at all he did really say everything that the occasion required we were so dismayed by the proposition that we should go to harper street so hurt in our own personal dignity that we lost ourselves in endeavoring to make it understood that such a journey on our part was quite out of the question were we to do that mrs brumby we should live in cabs and spend our entire days in making visits she smiled at us as we endeavored to express our indignation and said something as to circumstances being different in different cases something also if we remember right she hinted as to the intelligence needed for discovering the differences she left our office quicker than we had expected saying that as we could not afford to spend our time in cabs she would call again on the day but one following her departure was almost abrupt but she went apparently in good humor it never occurred to us at the moment to suspect that she hurried away before we should have had time to repudiate certain suggestions which she had made when we found ourselves alone with a roll of paper in our hands we were very angry with mrs brumby but almost more angry with ourselves we were in no way bound to the woman and yet she had in some degree substantiated a claim upon us we piqued ourselves specially on never making any promise beyond the vaguest assurance that this or that proposed contribution should receive consideration at some altogether undefined time but now we were positively pledged to read mrs brumby's effusion and have our verdict ready by the day after to-morrow we were wont too to keep ourselves much secluded from strangers and here was mrs brumby who had already been with us twice positively entitled to a third audience we had been scolded and then forgiven and then ridiculed by a woman who was old and ugly and false and there was present to us a conviction that though she was old and ugly and false 
Mrs. Brumby was no ordinary woman. Perhaps it might be that she was really qualified to give us valuable assistance in regard to the magazine, as to which we must own we were sometimes driven to use matter that was not quite so brilliant as, for our readers' sakes, we would have wished it to be. We feel ourselves compelled to admit that old and ugly women, taken on the average, do better literary work than they who are young and pretty. I did not like Mrs. Brumby, but it might be that in her the age would find another distale. So thinking, we cut the little string and had the manuscript open in our own hands. We cannot remember whether she had already indicated to us the subject of the essay, but it was headed Costume in 18 blank. There were, perhaps, thirty closely filled pages, of which we read perhaps a third. The handwriting was unexceptionable, orderly, clean, and legible, but the matter was undeniable twaddle. It proffered advice to women that they should be simple, and to men that they should be cleanly in their attire. Anything of less worth for the purpose of amusement or of instruction could not be imagined. There was, in fact, nothing in it. It has been our fate to look at a great many such essays, and to cause them at once either to be destroyed or returned. There could be no doubt at all as to Mrs. Brumby's essay. She came punctual as the clock. As she seated herself in our chair and made some remark as to her hope that we were satisfied, we felt something like fear steal across our bosom. We were about to give offense, and dreaded the arguments that would follow. It was, however, quite clear that we could not publish Mrs. Brumby's essay on costume, and therefore, though she looked more like Minerva now than ever, we must go through our task. We told her in half a dozen words that we had read the paper, and that it would not suit our columns. "'Not suit your columns?' she said, looking at us by no means in sorrow, but in great anger. "'You do not mean to trifle with me like that, after all you have made me suffer?' We protested that we were responsible for none of her sufferings. "'Sir,' she said, "'when I was last here you owned the wrong you had done me.' We felt that we must protest against this, and we rose in our wrath." there were two of us angry now. Madam, we said, you have kindly offered to us your essay, and we have courteously declined it. You will allow us to say that this must end the matter. There were allusions here to kindness and courtesy, but the reader will understand that the sense of the words was altogether changed by the tone of the voice. Indeed, sir, the matter will not be ended so, if you think that your position will enable you to trample upon those who make literature really a profession, you are very much mistaken. Mrs. Brumby, we said, we can give you no other answer, and as our time is valuable. Time valuable, she exclaimed, and as she stood up an artist might have taken her for a model of Minerva, had she only held a spear in her hand. And is no time valuable, do you think, but yours? 
I had, sir, your distinct promise that the paper should be published if it was left in your hands above a week. That is untrue, madam. Untrue, sir? Absolutely untrue. Mrs. Brumby was undoubtedly a woman, and might be very like a goddess, but we were not going to allow her to palm off upon us without flat contradiction, so absolute a falsehood as that. We never dreamed of publishing your paper. Then why, sir, have you troubled yourself to read it, from the beginning to the end? We had certainly intimated that we had made ourselves acquainted with the entire essay, but we had in fact skimmed and skipped through about a third of it. How dare you say, sir, you have never dreamed of publishing it, when you know that you studied it with that view? We didn't read it all, we said, but we read quite enough. And yet but this moment ago you told me that you had perused it very carefully. The word peruse we certainly never used in our life. We object to perusing as we do to commencing and performing. We read, and we begin, and we do. As to that assurance which the word carefully would intend to convey, we believe that we were to that extent guilty. I think, sir, she continued, that you had better see the lieutenant. With a view to fighting the gentleman, we asked. No, sir. An officer in the Duke of Sussex's own draws his sword against no enemy so unworthy of his steel. She had told me at a former interview that the lieutenant was so confirmed an invalid as to be barely able, on his best days, to drag himself out of bed. One fights with one's equal, but the law gives redress from injury, whether it be inflicted by equal, by superior, or by inferior. And Mrs. Brumby, as she uttered the last word, wagged her helmet at us in a manner which left no doubt as to the position which she assigned to us. End of section 20. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.